Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter. And this is Any Crime at All. Thank you for joining us. So, uh, what's new and exciting in the world, Colt? Uh, in the world? Uh, I just seen that a dam burst in Ukraine, and Russia's blaming Ukraine, and Ukraine's blaming Russia, and... I wonder how long this war is going to go on for. Yeah. This would be the real Cold War. <laughs> Get uh, it? <laughs> waka, waka, waka. Um, no, there's nothing new with me. Yeah, me either. We lead very boring lives. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Sort of glad for it, though. We both got over some sicknesses. No drama. Yeah. Yeah, the week before Coulter was sick, and last week, I'm sure you guys heard it in my voice, I was sick. And now we're all better. Yeah. And uh, so, you want to just hop into this or what? Yeah, let's okay. get into it. So, this is part three of the Toolbox Killers. This will be the last part, I promise. Um, and then I never have to read about these motherfuckers ever again. And we're covering like the court case and stuff today? Yes. 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 And I have some of an interview. I'm not going to read the whole interview. But I have some of an interview with... Uh, Lawrence Fuckface Bittaker. You know, I found out his middle name was Sigmund. Lawrence Sigmund Bittaker? Yeah. Sounds very British. Sounds very stupid. <laughs> that actually, no, it does. It actually sounds like a smart name, unfortunately. Mm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Sigmund Bittaker. And then someone just cuts his fucking throat. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be perfect. Okay, so in the previous two episodes, we talked about the rape, torture, and murder of five beautiful young girls. Cindy Schaefer, Andrea Hall, Leah Lamp, Jackie Gilliam, and Shirley Ledford. And, of course, the rape of Shirley Sanders. Yes. Because they they were going to kill her. No doubt about it. Uh, by the two festering blood farts, Roy Norris and Lawrence Bittaker. Good yes. name I came up for them, eh? That's beautiful. Who the press had named the Toolbox Killers. And can we just stop here for a second and just... Can we stop giving these motherfuckers cool-ass names? No. Well, we should because they're assholes. So, like, we should call them Festering Blood Farts or the Cowardly Bastards or the Stupid Jack-Off Killer or... Yeah, but it's kind of interesting with their names. Yeah, but that's why more and more people are wanting to fucking kill because they get these cool monikers from the press. Obviously, but, like... It's a good way to differentiate. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We went over the highly disturbing and disgusting audio tape. And lastly, we talked about the mistakes the morons made and the impending unraveling of their horror show. So in the last episode, I finished with one of them sang like a canary. And you guessed. It was Norris. So Norris got busted for selling weed. Unbeknownst to the pair of fucksticks, they were under surveillance. This crime was, of course, a parole violation, so he and his cohort were arrested for the rape of Shirley Sanders on November 20th, 1979. Okay, so I just want to point out from last episode, they were under surveillance because Norris got drunk with an ex-con buddy and talked about the shit he was doing with Bitteker. Exactly. And that ex-con went and yeah. did the right thing. Yes, which was lovely to see. Um, with the arrests of the two shit stains, search warrants were granted for Bittaker's apartment, Norris's mother's home, where he lived, 
and the silver van. As I mentioned in the last show, one of them sang like a canary. But which one? I guess Norris. You guess Norris. And I would really love to know who everyone else guessed, but I'm going to tell you. I can pretty much hear everyone screaming Norris. And yes, you're all correct. Okay, yeah. By November 30th, they got busted November 20th. By November 30th, 1979, when Norris was questioned by Detective Paul Bynum and Assistant District Attorney Stephen Kay, he was giving it all up. You know, I'm so competitive. I was so nervous that... It was going to be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> you just would have walked out on the fucking podcast. I'm done. <laughs> behind, the, behind the chair here, I crossed my fingers. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm too competitive. He is really competitive. He thought... Okay, guys, I'm just going to stop here for a second. He thought that filling the sugar dish was a competition between him and I. He said last week, he's like, uh, (laughs) did you notice I left the sugar dish empty? And I'm like, he goes, when do you fill it? I go, when it's empty. And he's like, oh, I thought we were competing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, so, uh, so he was questioned by uh, Bynum and Kay, and he gave it all up. However, Norris put the majority of the blame on Bitteker. Okay. So there's no honor among thieves or killers, I guess. Um, When the questioning began, Norris was really stressed out, and he even waived his Miranda rights. Fuck. Yeah. Now, at first, he vehemently denied any and all involvement in the kidnapping, rape, torture, and murder of the five young victims. However, when the dynamic detective and DA duo, yeah, I love alliteration, produced all the incriminating evidence they'd found, the fucker cracked. He then told the two men about the San Gabriel Mountains, the torture, the rapes, the beatings, and of course, the murders. He only admitted to hitting Leah Lamp in the head with the sledgehammer and beating Shirley Ledford on the elbow with it. He stated that with each girl, Bitteker's torture became more brutal. This is when he divulged that poor Shirley Ledford had begged for them to kill her so the torture would end. He also told them that one of Cindy Schaefer's shoes had come off when they grabbed her and that she had been coming from a Presbyterian church. Only the killers would know this. Yeah. He knew Shirley Ledford had some Hispanic genetics. Remember, he had a hate on for Hispanics? Yeah. And he said Bitteker had asked her out before at the restaurant, and she had turned him down. So can you imagine what this must have been like for Bitteker? Yes. This fucking power play that he had? A weird revenge. Now, the evidence that the cops found was as follows. 500 Polaroid pictures of 500 different girls. Mostly from Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach. Remember when they were just taking pictures of those girls and practicing not to be creepy and shit? were Were they planning to do stuff with those girls? They were just taking pictures of girls. Okay. Two pictures of Leah Lamp and Jackie Gilliam. Bottles of acidic liquids. Norris said they were going to use these on their next victim. 
the sledgehammer, a bag of lead weights, which he had hit Leah Lamp with, yes. remember? A book on how to find police radio frequencies. Interesting, yeah. A jar of Vaseline for, well, yeah, you well, know. Yeah, we know. Two necklaces that belonged to two different victims. They didn't say which victims, but... And a bracelet that belonged to Shirley Ledford. But the most heinous evidence they found was, of course, the audio tape of Ledford's torture and rape. Shirley's mother had to listen to the tape, oh. or at least a portion of it, in order to identify her daughter's voice. Can you fucking imagine? That's... Uh, Sickening. How do you do that? Oh. And I mean, you're doing it to catch the motherfuckers that did this to you. Well, for kid. sure, that's how you do but it. But Jesus. That poor woman. That is in her head for the rest of her life. Yep. Oh. Norris, after confessing to, quote unquote, his part in the murders, agreed to show the detectives where the bodies were. The bodies of both Cindy Schaefer and Andrea Hall would not, uh, could not and would not be found, even to this very day. Now, this could be because of the rough terrain in the San Gabriel Mountains. It was hard to search everywhere. Yeah. Or maybe Norris got the locations wrong as they had disposed of these girls in the dark. But uh, the possibility that I'm thinking is the most plausible is the scavenging of local wildlife. That's That seems about right. Yeah. But on February 9th, 1980... Jackie Gilliam and Leah Lamp's skeletal remain, remains were found at the bottom of a canyon near a dry riverbed. The police had to search a very large area as the remains of the girls had indeed been scattered by animals. Police found the broken ice pick still embedded in Gilliam's skull. Ooh. I know, isn't that just... Ugh. And Lamp's skull was riddled with dents from the sled, sledgehammer at the hands of Norris. Now, based on the mountain of evidence the police had, Norris's confession, and despite only finding three of the bodies, Norris and Bittaker were charged with a multitude of counts. These included, now this is what uh, Norris is uh, charged with, four counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder, because he, Andrea Hall, yeah, he said when he came back she was gone. Right? Um, Roy Norris went to trial first. Of course, by this time, he'd already agreed to a plea deal. The deal was that if Norris testified against Bittaker, then the death penalty would be taken off the table and he'd get a chance at parole. In the end, on March 18, 1980, he pled guilty to first-degree murder times four, one count of second-degree murder, one count of robbery, and two counts of rape. The sentencing was to be held on May 7th, 1980, because... Because? Because. What happened there? Channeled a past life or something? Uh, because Norris had to be assessed by a probation officer. The PO stated that Norris blamed Bittaker for pretty much everything. Yeah. He said Norris claimed he wasn't really interested in actually raping the girls. He just liked dominating females. Bullshit. He's he a was totally he's, into the he's fucking He was a rapist race. before. Right? 
The officer also stated that Norris had not shown an iota of compassion or remorse towards the five young girls he'd helped to their dooms. The PO finished the report by stating that when it came to inflicting pain, Norris was compulsive. And that Norris, quote, can realistically be regarded as an extreme sociopath whose depraved, grotesque pattern of behavior is beyond rehabilitation, unquote. But the court, in its infinite wisdom, only sentenced him sentenced him to 45 years to life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Well, he didn't get that. Well, he, he probably died. And then I put, I mean, why not, right? These were only crimes against girls, no one important or anything. Did he die before parole? I guess we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Okay. The trial for Lawrence Bitteker started on January 19, 1981 and took place in Torrance, California. The judge presiding was Judge Thomas Fredericks. Three days into the trial, the star witness for the prosecution took the stand, Roy Norris. Now, Norris told the court about how the two men in prison uh, met in prison, about planning for the abductions and such. Then he went into great detail about each victim in chronological order. Totally reliving. Yep. He also stated that he didn't want the girls to die and he didn't want to kill Shirley Ledford, but Bitteker insisted and Norris said he was scared of Bitteker, so he did it. Did it ever seem like there was any fear between these two? I don't know. Fuck. There were other witnesses as well, including Christina Drawl or Drail, I'm not sure how to say it, age 17, who testified that Bitteker had shown her a picture of Jackie Gilliam. And he said, quote, the girls I get won't talk anymore, unquote. Okay, fuck, man. These... What a disgusting piece of shit, He's right? so proud. Right? Like, ugh. Lloyd Douglas, an old cellmate of Bitteker, testified that Lawrence had told him uh, in graphic detail about the horrors he'd inflicted on Ledford and Gilliam. Bitteker told him that he'd stabbed Gilliam in the breast with the ice pick, then twisted the weapon while it was still in the wound. He went on to say he'd used vice grips on her breasts and legs, even tearing off a nipple in the process. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Regarding Ledford, Bitteker explained how he'd used the same vice grips to mutilate her vagina and anus, and that he'd attempted to, quote, beat her breasts back into her body with his fists, unquote. The fuck, Right? My God. Defense attorney Al Garber said that his client had absolutely no involvement in the murders and that he only found out about them from Norris just before they were arrested. Fucking defense attorneys. Uh, I don't know how they do it. How do you defend this thing? Yeah, I would just be like, yeah, he's guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. put him to death, whatever. Uh, they had backup for this claim in the form of Richard Schutman, a friend of Roy Norris. He testified that Norris had also told him about the murders and that his main goal for committing them was to see the terrified look on the girls' faces. 
Upon this testimony, the jury was shown a picture of Andrea Hall after she'd been told she was going to die. Remember, Bitteker took those yeah. pictures of her? On February 5th, 1981, Bitteker took the stand in his own defense. Never a good idea. No. For these fucks. Never. They're way too overconfident. But anyway. He testified that he had no knowledge, nor did he take part in anything to do with Cindy Schaefer. He told the court that he had made an arrangement with Andrea Hall. He would give her $200 for sex and posing for pictures. So it wasn't rape. They had an arrangement. Oh. Apparently, they'd gone to the San Gabriel Mountains to take the pics. And while there, Norris had walked Hall further up the trail, then told her to find his own, her own way home. And that's the last time Bitteker saw her. His explanation for Jackie Gilliam and Leah Lamp was pretty much the same. He and Gilliam had made a sex-for-money deal, and the last time he saw any trace of these two girls, they'd been in the van with Norris. Just pure bullshit. Now this... Now, regarding the audio tape of Shirley Ledford's horrific torture and sexual assault, Bitteker explained, get ready for this, that she was screaming theatrically and quite willingly. Oh my God. Yes. And that he'd never actually hurt her. She too was left alone with Norris and he just never saw her again. What This guy's a piece of shit, man. Mm-hmm. The trial lasted for four weeks, and finally it was time for the closing arguments. Stephen Kay addressed the jury by saying he was disappointed that he could only ask for the death penalty in this case because clearly Bitteker should be tortured and abused the same way he tortured and abused those poor girls. Yeah, I agree. But, alas, there was no legal avenue for that punishment. Bitteker showed the jury, no, sorry, I said Bitteker and I meant Stephen Kay. Stephen Kay showed the jury pictures of these beautiful girls while calling the defendant, quote, an excuse for a man, unquote. He ended his argument by saying, quote, this case was one of the most shocking, brutal cases in the history of American crime. If the death penalty is not appropriate in this case, when will it ever be, unquote. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Al Garber started his closing argument by telling the jury to ignore the testimony of Norris because he was, in fact, the murderer. So just ignore everything Norris said. He accused the prosecution of talking about the gory details too much in an effort to sway the jury. Well, you got to talk about the details. In an effort to sway the jury. That's what you're doing. You are trying to sway the jury. Yeah, that's their job. <laughs> so, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Garber finished by saying most of Bitteker's previous crimes had been nonviolent. And that there was insufficient evidence that Bitteker was the killer. Okay. What a, what a horrible lawyer. Yep. The jury only deliberated for three days before they came back on February 17th, it 1981. Three days? With a verdict. I'm thinking that they were enjoying the hotel and the food. Maybe. Oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> Lawrence Bitteker was found guilty for first degree murder times five, kidnapping times five, rape times nine, one count of sodomy, forcible oral copulation times two, 
conspiracy to commit first-degree murder times one, unlawful possession of a firearm times three. That's a lot of charges. Yeah, very much so. On February 19, 1981, the jury began their deliberations regarding the sentencing of this anal wart. An hour and a half later, they came back. An hour and a half later, they came back with their decision. Death. Yeah. Bitteker showed nothing in the way of emotion whatsoever when his sentence was read. Um, now, the formal sentencing was done on March 24th, 1981. And Judge Fredericks, you're going to love this man. Judge Fredericks did his due diligence by giving an alternate sentence of 199 years just in case the death sentence was ever overturned. So either way, this motherfucker ain't going anywhere. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. This uh, disgusting shitball of a human would never see the outside world ever again. I love it. Surprise, surprise, Bitteker appealed the conviction and the sentencing on these grounds. There had been procedural errors concerning his arrest and conviction. The validity of the search warrants for his apartment and the van, he wanted to see the validity of them. What do you need to see? Yeah. You guys were both busted for a fucking rape and torture. Uh, Norris started fucking squawking about it. And they had probable cause to search. Yeah. So, also, the dismissal of a woman who'd originally been hired by the defense to advise the jury on matters concerning their views on the death penalty. Okay. Yeah. That was his grounds for the appeal. This appeal was denied. Yeah. (laughs) On June 22nd, 1989. Eight years later. (laughs) Holy fuck. Noting that the procedural errors were minor and that the evidence against Bitteker was so strong that the minor errors wouldn't have had any effect on the trial, conviction, or the sentencing. The first execution date was for December 29th, 1989. Bitteker appealed. On June 11th, 1990, the Supreme Court upheld the death sentence. The next execution date was set for July 23, 1991. Bitteker appealed, and a stay of execution was granted on July 9, 1991. Now, this is worth mentioning. Bitter became a real pain in the ass. Bitteker. What did I say? Bitter. Oh. (laughs) Bitteker became a real pain in the ass for the court system after he was sentenced. Aside from his appeals... He filed many claims against several different people, including the warden of the prison. By 1995, the asshole had undertaken over 40 legal actions. Oh, my God. My... Mm, Yeah. Um, He may have done this out of boredom for his own amusement. And it doesn't cost him anything. It costs the state of California a lot of money, but it doesn't cost him anything. Or perhaps he was trying to show that he was still in control, even though he was locked up. Yeah. Because you know motherfuckers like this need the power. It's it's a control thing, I think. Oh, that's yeah. what I was thinking that before you said it. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah. Pricks like him want to have all the control at all times. But all these legal actions came back to bite the dickhead in the ass because the courts labeled him to be a vexatious 
litigent. I love that. Vexatious, litigent. I just want to call people that. It doesn't make sense to call somebody no. that, but I want to call people a vexatious litigent. <laughs> I'll get you a shirt that says that. Yeah. This happens when a person overwhelms the courts with meritless motions that are unwarranted or frivolous. Perhaps, you're going to love this, or like you're, anyway. Perhaps the straw that broke the camel's back in the way of the court system was when Bitteker filed a cruel and unusual punishment claim against the prison. Okay. Because when he received one of his meal trays, his cookie was broken. What? Yep. That was a legit fucking motion he filed with the California court system. Oh my God. His cookie was broken and it was cruel and unusual punishment. That fucking vexatious litigant. (laughs) Yes, buddy. (laughs) Doesn't it sound good to say it? (laughs) Roy Norris was held at Richard J. Donovan, correct? Donovan? What is wrong with me? Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, California. He first came up for parole in 2009. However, he did not attend the hearing because he didn't have any leads on a job or a place to live. You know, because, you know, they won't parole you if you don't have that. You know, don't worry about the murders or anything. I don't have a place to live, man. Imagine someone being like, yeah, I'll hire you. Yeah, right? What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Want to be my nanny? Like, fuck. Uh... Uh, 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 yeah, he didn't have a job or a place to live if he did get out. Uh, uh, Stephen Kay said, quote, he should never get out, and I don't believe there is any parole board that will ever grant him parole, unquote. His next parole hearing was in 2019. He was denied. Yeah, good. Good news, though. This walking venereal disease died on February 24th, 2020 from natural causes. Oh, that's awesome. Now, Lawrence Bitteker was sent to death row at San Quentin State Prison in San Francisco, California. Everyone's heard of San Quentin. Everyone. No explanation needed for this place because everyone has heard of it. (laughs) Some of the worst criminals have been housed there. Yes. As we know. The cell that Bitteker lived in is about four and a half feet by ten feet eight inches. There is a bed, a sink, and a toilet in this tiny space. And a broken cookie. And a broken cookie. <laughs> he just kept it, eh? Yeah. It was fucking proof. <laughs> um, and he even has to eat his meals in there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I love that. Doesn't even get out to go to chow line or anything. So now I'm going to read parts of an interview. With Lawrence Bitteker. When was the interview? Uh, this book was... I'm going to say 2016, 2017. Oh, they... like that. The writers of this book interviewed No, a, a, per, a, a different person interviewed him. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Uh, what was your motivation for the crimes? Bitteker says, I'm going to tell you the truth. My psychosexual development stopped when I first got incarcerated at 16. I've spent 40 of my 65 years in jail. It destroyed my social and sexual development. Boo fucking who? Yeah, well, stop being a criminal. Yeah. I never had a normal upbringing. My family life was like I was a boarder. 
I don't hate women. I can't understand raping an 80-year-old woman. You're raping someone who's unattractive. Fuck. That's the only reason he can't understand raping <laughs> an 80-year-old woman, because she's not pretty. <sighs> Something is screwy with that. But I can understand the rape of, of an attractive girl who turns you on. What? I love girls, young and attractive. My fantasy is a girl screaming, but because of pleasure. My whole life I had no woman who loved me. Cue the fucking violins. Well, no shit. And that's what I wanted so bad. That's why I took the girls into the mountains. Fuck you. Because you wanted them to love you? That's yeah. why you took them into the mountains? Yeah. <sighs> so, what happened during the Lamp Gilliam murder? Roy was the one who got excited about having sex. I kind of stumbled into it. Technically, it was rape. They were snatched off the street and tied up, but we treated them well. What? Yeah. We partied with them, gave them food, smoked marijuana and drank. Given the circumstances, it was the most friendly rape situation. I'm the local friendly rapist. What is wrong with this fucking guy? Right? Like, I've heard of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but... Yeah, can you even fathom this? This is actually coming out of this fucking piece of shit's mouth. Like, we treated them well. You fucking murdered them! You ripped her nipple off! How is that treating them well? I, ugh. You've said you were attracted to Gilliam. What turned you on about her? She said she was a virgin. You wouldn't know it by doing her. She was mature, well-developed, didn't have wide hips. I can't remember how many times I did it with her over the two days. Had to be three times. We spent Sunday noon to Monday midnight together. The tape I made with her was only a couple of minutes long. They never found it. Oh. He buried it somewhere and he wouldn't tell them where it was. I played it later for some kids in my neighborhood. What? Yeah. The FBI interviewed you twice to learn about serial killers. What was that experience like? Yeah, John Douglas, a now retired FBI profiler. He thought he was smart. He dressed down for me. He brought another FBI agent, Mary Ellen O'Toole. She was hot. CBS and the FBI were going to produce a show called Criminal Minds based on my case. They later did it, but it wasn't based on his case. Yeah. That was an hour-long special. Prime time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But they weren't allowed to do it because San Quentin wouldn't give them the interview time. Prime time. Oof. Like, fuck off. What was, your, what was your problem with Douglas? Well, the first thing I mentioned was that he dressed down for me. Uh, he wore denim and a jacket. This guy thinks he's slick. He thought he could fit in with me. He thought calling a woman a bitch in front of me would get me to like him. He thought he could con me. I wasn't saying anything. I can't blame the guy for trying. He was playing little mind games. He used the term bitches. I don't refer to females as bitches. No, you refer to them as murder victims and rape victims. Yeah. And 
Are you homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual? He says, I'm adaptable. Because of my 40 years of incarceration, I have had more sex with men than women. It's easily accessible in prison. It's right there. Why not just do it? I used to live with a woman in Hollywood. She was totally beautiful from the waist up. But when she raised her dress, she was a drag queen. She was from El Salvador. It was available. Satisfying. She was a professional entertainer. Okay. Did you have a sexual relationship with Roy? Roy is homophobic. He is bigoted. And he is a racist. Oh. Yeah, because that's the worst thing. I mean, being a racist and bigoted is fucking horrible. But you left out rapist and murderer. Like, I wouldn't talk to him. I wouldn't talk to him about it. He's not adaptable. What a good guy this guy is, eh? He's just adaptable. This is fucked up, man. Are you a serial killer? They say I am, so I am. I'm a special serial killer. Oh, he's so proud, that fucking son of a bitch. What's a special serial killer? He just grins. Don't you just want to fucking tear his head off? Not cut it off. Fucking tear it off and just shit down his neck. Like, ugh. Do you think about your execution? Why would I want to think about it? Leans in and speaks softly so the guards can't hear. I have it all figured out anyway. To commit suicide. Razor blades are sort of messy. I can just black myself out. You just put some pressure on your carotid artery. And if I did that with a wrap of some kind, maybe a belt or cloth, wrap it around my neck, tighten it with a pencil or something, when your brain is not getting any blood, you're in trouble. I'll just fall out and never wake up. How do you spend your time? I spend 23 and a half hours a day in my cell. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? Yeah. No condemned have cellmates. My cell is four and a half feet by 11 feet. I was on the main line, not condemned, for two and a half years when I first came to San Quentin in 1961 for stealing cars. Wow, you were in San Quentin before. Whoop-de-fucking-doo-dah. Good for you. Anyway, I spend 16 hours a day lying there in bed. You're allowed to get four books a week from the institutional library. You might request a thriller, but get given a science fiction novel instead. Oh, uh, did he file um, you would think. court about that? You would think. How do you get along with the guards? A lot of them don't like me because of my case. You think? Um, a few of them say, quote, okay, this made me laugh. Hey, pliers, did you bring your toolbox? Unquote. And you know they're saying it with such fucking yeah. disdain, just dripping from their lips. I get along with them as long as they want to get along with me. Now, he is, uh, as they're talking here, um, Scott Peterson is led by. Oh, really? Cuffs. Yeah. And he's got two guards on either side of him. And he calls him, Bitteker calls him a walk-alone. And the interviewer asks him, what's a walk-alone? And he goes, well, that's what I am, too. Because I've been beaten up in here before and stuff like that. So I don't get to walk with other prisoners. I have to walk with guards. Oh, So he was beaten up in there. And apparently Scott Peterson was, too. But, I mean, he did kill his pregnant wife, so. Um, He said he only ever had two visitors. A husband and wife named Smith. They were a Christian couple from Fresno. But 
they hadn't visited him in many, many years. Why'd they visit him? A lot of Christians and stuff like that will visit people on death row to try to get them to find God. And oh, fuck they off. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... and he goes That on, disgusts me. Yeah. And he goes on to say that uh, he has sold some of his paintings and shit like that to people who, who collect serial killer memorabilia and shit like that. Uh, are you friends with other quote-unquote celebrity types here, like child rapist and murderer Richard Allen Davis? The prisoners here blame him for the three strikes law. America's bizarre three strikes crime and you're out law rules that a citizen faces a potential 25 years to life prison sentence if they commit three serious crimes, uh, but has seen men convicted of petty crimes such as burglary. Bur say the word for me. Burgling? Burglary. Burglary. I couldn't I, say I it. I thought you were trying to say burgling. Well, same thing. Facing life in jail. He's asking for it one way or another. Polly Class, Davis's victim, a young girl, sighs. A young girl. And then he sighed. Yeah. I've talked to Davis a couple of times. He's an old-style convict. What about Night Stalker Richard Ramirez? Ramirez... Ramirez used to be a neighbor of mine. He's in the hole for flag-waving. Simulates opening a trench coat. Mm. Like flashing. He flashed some female employee. They caught him selling his souvenirs to someone who's dealing them for him on the outside. So he's, he was in the hole at this time. Do you have any other serial, serial killer friends in prison? Randy Kraft. He was in my yard. He would get his hair cut out there and I would pick it up from the ground and give it to one of my collector friends on the outside. And he would sell it. In return, these guys on the outside would send me smut magazines or stamps. Randy found out I was giving away his hair. He doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> what the fuck is going on in I that know. prison? <laughs> Any other serial killer stories? Randy Kraft, Bill Bonin, William Bonin. Yeah. Douglas Clark. Do you know any of these names? I, I don't know Douglas Clark. I know the other names. We'll cover that one and you'll be... Uh, Randy Kraft, Bill Bonin, Douglas Clark, and me. You have a good body count there. What the fuck? What is wrong with you? Ugh. Some collector had four aces from a deck of cards and wanted us all to sign the cards. But Randy wouldn't sign. Not even for money. Body count. He didn't like any publicity. Somebody wrote a book about his case. He sued the writer. This is... You can't do that. He can't sue the writer. It's public fucking knowledge. Sorry, this is nothing to joke about, but... When he said, you got a good body count there? Mm -hmm. I just pictured the Green River Killer going, hold my beer. Yeah, really, eh? Yeah, like, no fucking doubt. Be honest with me. Do you have any remorse for killing those girls? Yes, yes, yes. How many times do I have to tell you? Nobody's going to believe it. I'm not happy I got caught. That's, that's not, not remorse. No, that's not remorse. Sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I just screamed that. Sorry, guys, if I broke your fucking ears. But yeah. that's not remorse. She screamed it in my face. Yeah, I really did. I'm so sorry. Like, buddy. I'm Bitteker. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, uh, there's a little bit in here about when John Douglas went to meet him with, uh, was it Erin O'Toole, her name was, I think, or... Mar Marianne O'Toole? Marianne O'Toole? Is that like what that. it was? Yeah. Bitteker would not look at O'Toole. 
No? He would not look at her. Every time she talked to him, he kept his fucking eyes down. You know why? She's more powerful than him. Yep. A woman is more powerful than him. And the way he described her was like, she's hot. Yeah. <laughs> she totally intimidated him. It doesn't say that in here, but that is my take from it. Yeah. Uh, so that is the interview with that fucking piece of garbage. And he's still alive? Well, we'll get to that, won't we? On December 13th, 2019, this cancer of a human died of natural causes. Oh, they died two months apart? Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that he was never executed. I hate that these two fuckwits died of natural causes yeah. after what they did to these five girls and Shirley Sanders, not to mention all their friends and family. Yeah. Now, as we do... My beautiful freaks, we are going to end this by remembering the victims. Yes. Lucinda Cindy Schaefer, 16 years old. Andrea Hall, 18 years old. Jacqueline Gilliam, 15 years old. Jacqueline Leah Lamp, 13 years old. Shirley Lynette Ledford, 16 years old. May you be at peace. And love and light to you, your families, and your friends. All right. That is the story, or the case, sorry, of the Toolbox Killers. And now I can put them out of my mind and just be happy that they're dead. Like I said, I just hate that they got to die of natural causes. Yeah, fuck. Like, if you're given the death penalty, if there's this much evidence, like, I'm... I'm back and forth on the death penalty because a lot of people have been put to death wrongly. But if there's this much evidence, like in the Bernardo case, like in, you know, cases where there's a fucking BTK. Yeah. They had tons of evidence on him. Don't hold them in prison. Don't let them appeal. They did this. Kill them. Do it like they did in Russia with Chikatilo. Oh, guilty, sentenced to death? Boom, bolt behind the left ear. Yep. See ya. <laughs> yeah, so that is the story of that. Um, I hope you guys, uh, quote unquote, enjoyed it. It's a weird word to say for something like this. But uh, we just, again, want to thank you for listening. For, uh, you know, just, yeah. We're, we're shocked that you guys want to listen to us. Like, Yeah, it's weird. It's very thank weird. you. So much, and we love you so much. And Coulter, do you have anything to say? I do not. Okay. I just want to say that be careful out there. Because why, Coulter? Because people are capable of any crime at all. Fucking right they are. So uh, be careful out there. Love you. Bye!